Support for the Cultural Class Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology development to provide you the best tools for your grooming experiences. In essence, this is a high-tech pubic shaver for men and women. While living the quarantine life, it might be difficult for most of us to pay attention to personal hygiene. This is because everyone is indoors. You know, it's difficult to find a barber. However, with Manscaped, you don't need to let your groin area look like your beard, especially if you have a significant other that you stay with or you're close to. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and has just released the new and improved lawnmower 3.0. The third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. I mean, the shaver is also water resistant so you can groom yourself in the shower. And when I say groom yourself, I mean shave. Manscaped was kind enough to send me a box and I have it right here. One of the coolest features is the LED lights, which illuminates the groin area or the grooming area for a closer, more precise trimming. Now you have a light on the trimmer so you can see what you're doing while you're trimming. So you can get all those hidden areas. You know what I mean? They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. This means it's not loud. No one knows what you're doing. Trim that junk of yours. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code CULTURECLASS at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Lady listeners, this will be a great gift for your guys as well. If you're thinking about what to get your husband or your boyfriend or your significant other, you can get him a lawnmower 3.0. Just go to manscaped.com and use the promo code CULTURECLASS while checking out to get 20% off and free shipping. Once again, 20% off free shipping. Go to manscaped.com and use the code culture class. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, welcome to another edition of Culture Class Podcast, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds, get to learn about other cultures and find out what's going on in other places. Today I have uh, a guest from India. I think this is like the, I want to say third episode I'm doing from someone in that region of the world. And, you know, anytime I do an episode with someone from India, you know, the time difference is huge. It's like a like an eight hour or 10 hour time difference. So it's usually like morning over here and usually pretty late over there. So um, welcome to the podcast, Utkarsh. How's it going? Hey, hi, Nasa. Uh Excited to be here. Got it. I hope I got the pronunciation of your name correctly. Yes, you got it right in the first time. Awesome. Got, got it, got it. And well, how are you doing? Like, where are you right now? What time is it over there? Yeah, so I'm based out of the city called Panipat. It is some, uh, you know, 80 miles away from the, the New Delhi district, which is like the capital of India. Uh, if I talk about the time right now, it's 9.40 p.m. So it's it's pretty pretty much night already here. Mm. Well, that's an 11-hour time difference from me. Yeah, yes. Wow, that's, uh, that's interesting. Did you say 18 miles? I thought India used the other metric system, like kilometers. Yeah, so we use kilometers. I just thought that, you know, because uh, most of your audience is based out of U.S., so they would yeah. understand it. 
Yeah, I mean, I live in the U.S., but I'm Nigerian, so we we also use the the British uh, metric system. But I get it confused sometimes, particularly with temperature. When you tell me, oh, it's 35 outside, I'm like, is that Celsius or Fahrenheit? Like, <laughs> yeah, that happens with us all the time. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you uh, coming on. Uh, you reached out to me. I think we're both members of... Uh, the podcast directory and where matched like to do an interview reached out to me and I thought you had a pretty interesting story based on your religion. So we're just going to be talking about that for the, you know, major parts of this interview. But first, let me get to know who, uh, your background, like, where are you from in India? Like, uh, did you, uh, grew up in a major city like Delhi or you grew up elsewhere? Like, give me a sense of, uh, your background growing up. All right. So as I was talking about that, you know, currently I'm I'm in Panipat, mm. and Panipat is is a very historic city if you talk about in in the Indian context because you know Panipat is one city which was like the battlefield for all the battles which have happened in the past. Like I'm talking about in the 1500s or like the 1600s for the you know for what pretty much what India looks like right now. So India has been known to have like you know foreign invaders coming in. And trying to disable the uh, you know empire mm. and uh, like so India the Panipat is known to be the battlefield where all those battles have been fought. Uh, so like if I oh, wow. like you know talk about a couple of battles like you know there are three battles which were like the most famous battles which pretty much defines the map of India right now. So the first one happened uh, like you know in 1500s uh, when when like Ahmed Shah Abdali you know kind of ran into forces with, with, with other rulers of India. So all of those things happened. But Panipat has a very historic significance. As I talked about, like, you know, that was like the primary battlefield for pretty much what India looks like right now. And like all the foreign invaders used to come to Persia and does, Afghanistan. And does, does that mean Panipat does that mean Panipat is like on the on the coastline or something? Because I would imagine like in the fifteen hundreds like ships were used to sail to uh, countries like India, uh, where is Panipat like uh, on the on the map of India? Is it like further up north or like near the coastline or something? Yeah, so because most of the invasions happened from uh, the route of Afghanistan, then Pakistan, and like you know the modern day Pakistan, and like then coming to, into India, mm-hmm. like the Punjab region and everything. So Panipat lies right outside the Delhi region, which was like you know the Sultanate. In, if, you, if you call it in Urdu, uh, which is like the, the emperor state, mm. the capital. And all the ru- rulers used to come through the Afghan, Afghan route. And Panipat is like one place which is just at the outskirts of Delhi. And mm. that's why like, you know, most rulers, ru- rulers uh, in, in India used to like drive them off from, from, from the gate itself. Got and it. hence Panipat became the battlefield. Got it. Okay. So preventing them from gaining access to, to Delhi, I guess. Exactly. Because, you know, uh, if the if the battle would have happened in Delhi, that would have costed severely to the uh, to the existing rural, right? Because yep. war comes in with a lot of uh, infrastructure costs and a lot of redevelopment costs and all sort of those things. So even if the rural would have won the won the war, it would have still be in a lot of debt. Yep. Yep. Okay. Totally. Totally makes sense. How much of this history and uh, you know, I don't want to say culture, but how much of this history is kind of like preserved by the Indian government in the Panipat region, particularly? Is it like one of the common places 
uh, tourists go to, or it's kind of just like a region that's known, but there's nothing like museums or anything like documenting what exactly happened over there. Yeah, so there are multiple things to that. First is that, you know, Panipat, though it was like, you know, one of uh, the famous history chapter in most of our academic it has never got its due uh, respect mm. uh, in that context. Like even though there is uh, there is a museum of wars, uh, which which is also known as the Kala Arm, and there's a there's a very interesting story behind it. Uh, if you if you may allow me, then maybe I can like talk about it. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. So Kala Arm is 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 a story about you know like this uh, Panipat region was uh, full of mango trees, and okay. Arm is 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 like the Hindi translation of mango. So Panipat had a lot of mango trees, but because uh, they were battled, it, it was also used as a battlefield, and say millions of people died uh, while while you know being being in that battle, and like you know a lot of like bloodshed happened and everything. Mm. The year preceding to that, uh, the year succeeding to the battles, we had a. I mean, it's said that you know we had a. a a yield of black mangoes uh, the year year next to the, all the battles which have happened and the reason for that is because the roots of these mango trees you know served all the blood which was you know fell on, fell on this on this ground and that's wow. why like that area or the museum which we, which was preserved as 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 like a like a museum of uh, your war is is been named kala arm so black mango is is what it it's called. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty yeah, interesting. That's the story behind you know uh, the the Kala Arm uh, Museum, and yes, that that's been preserved. But uh, honestly, if I talk about uh, tourism, or if if I talk about people visiting the city from that aspect, it's not been maintained in a fashion where like you know it supports a lot of tourism. Like there's definitely a museum and everything, but like it, the infrastructure is not that great in the context of like it can hand, can handle scores of uh, people coming in and visiting the place as as uh, as a place for historic value. So there, like you know, the government has not done enough to give it due respect of you know the place and the kind of history it preserves. But definitely, all of these things are there, uh, and yeah. Uh, there's definitely a little more to the city. Like if I talked about, uh, like the first facet was around around you know it being a battlefield. There are other things which Panipat is also known from from a historic perspective. If I could talk about Panipat, is also one of the biggest uh, Islamic pilgrim place. Mm, so really, if, if, if I give you a backstory about you know why how it became an uh, Islamic pilgrim place. Before before happened. you go to the backstory, uh, now where 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 Panipat? I'm I'm sorry. Uh, sorry to cut you short, but before you go to the backstory, uh, is northern India where Panipat is located and that whole region, is that predominantly Muslim? So, uh, if I talk about, you know, there's a partition story which happens with India in 1947. So, if I talk about the era before that, uh, Panipat had more than 80% of the Muslim population back then. Mm. But because Pakistan was built and it was built with the foundation of it being a Islamic nation, most of uh, the Muslims living here decided to migrate uh, in the 1940s time when India got cut. So yes, uh, before before the, before the partition area the, uh, era, there was a lot of Muslims living here. And this was this place was known as uh, like you know uh, even still known as as a as an Islamic pilgrim place. Uh, but yeah, post that that scenario changed. And like currently, if I talk about the Muslim population in Panipat, it's somewhere under ten percent. Under ten percent right now. Yeah, got it. Um, so yeah, how, how close is uh, Panipat to Assam and uh, other states uh, in that region? So India is a very big country, mm. and uh, Panipat and Delhi is somewhere. In like you know somewhere in the northern region, and Assam is somewhere 
at the eastmost region of of india and if i talk about in kilometers how far that places that somewhere around like more than 2000 to 2500 kilometers got it got it got it okay so i guess yeah you are closer to the other countries uh, up north um let, let me talk about your religion and this is something you know re- you reached out to me uh, about uh you know when you sent me an email so from what i understand you belong to the i Aya Samaj uh if i pronounce that correctly and uh you were raised in this religion yes, from did i did i get the pronunciation the Arya yes, Samaj yes it's Arya Samaj uh, it was founded by Swami Dayanand and to understand Arya Samaj it, it to uh, you know to really understand that you know Arya Samaj is uh, it, it's a it's a it's a version of hinduism mm. and honestly like it's not a religion and i'll i'll get to that that you know why i say that it's not a religion uh, but like to understand our samaj is is pretty much like you know understanding the protestantism uh, which happened in the 19th in, in the 1570s in germany you know started by the martin martin luther like you okay. know when if if you know that history that you know catholics uh, were already dominating the european region and then there was martin luther who came in and like you know started the protest system movement where he kind of defined that you know uh, there are rights to other people in in in, in christianity and mm. there, there was a different movement around you know going around the superstition going around uh, the belief of of, of catholic uh, religion and all sort of those things so think of that happening in hindu got it so it's kind of like in christ yeah swami dayanand so it's kind of like a sect of hinduism yeah. just like how protestant baptist and uh, you know other versions of christianity are kind of like sects of christianity got it yeah so the way how swami dayanand defined uh, arya samaj is not like a religion or a sect he calls it as a religious reformist organization a religious and reformist organization yes yes so when i say that you know it's a religious reformist re- reformist organization it it means that it has a democratic way of you know understanding who their leaders and you know people like saints and everybody would be it mm. has uh, like you, the people who follows this uh, organization needs to take membership like you know like you know need to first of all enroll themselves in, in this organization to practice it and then if i talk about the values of uh, this this the reformist organization is around you know breaking chains of superstition uh, breaking chains of myths and prejudices around which prevail in the hindu religion and like there are l- multiple things like you know swami dayanand advocate uh, that you know they they like hindu people or followers of hinduism does not need to do I- idol worshiping which is like very prevalent in in the indian indian culture other things which we kind of you know tried to work against is like you know there was there was a prevalence of uh, child marriages so he mm-hmm. tried to abolish that there was sati pratha which is which meant that you know widows were being put on fire with with their husbands their dead husbands and they were supposed to die with them mm. so he tried to put an end to that then there was like you know there was uh, he advocate the premise of getting the widows remarried because all of these things were like you know which were taboos in the in the in the in the hindu in the hindu community or in the hindu religion they try to work to work against all these things to mm. have how to provide a modern outlook to the society which we live in right it almost it almost feels like and i say this respectfully it almost feels like a, a liberal take on an existing religion um does 
um, the religion also borrow or do they use like the teachings of the Gita as well or they have their own book? Uh, I already asked Samaj. Yeah, so, so if I talk about Swami Dhyanam, most of his learning came from the Vedas and when I say Vedas, Vedas is like like the four holy books which, which the Hinduism has, like which is Rig Ved, Sam Ved, Yajur Ved and Athar Ved. These are like the four Vedas. Even like, you know, the Gita and everything, uh, these are like uh, if I talk about like these Gita and everything talk about God in a different light talk about God in different times whereas even Gita has references from the Vedas mm. so if I talk oh, about I, Vedas I, they're like pretty much like the fundamentals or like the foundation of the religion okay and, so is that is that what inspired the Gita because whenever I think about Hinduism like I think about the Gita as the central book in that religion I, but I might be wrong so it, it is it is an essential book but mm. it is not like you know it, it's not like the something which which came as like the first inscription or what first uh, you know which with foundation of of the religion and what like the priests and saints follow vedas mm-hmm. came first and veda is everything which 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 all the you know saints and all the followers of the hindu religion people would follow and gita is, is just like a narration of a time when, uh, like, if I talk about this in, in briefly, is like you know, Gita is more about uh, the story of uh, Mahabharata, where Arjun was 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 in a in a fix. Arjun was a disciple of Krishna, and he was in a fix where he had to battle or fight with his own brothers, mm. and that's when uh, Lord Krishna recited Gita to Arjun to tell him that do dharma. Dharma means do what what is right and stand for it and don't worry about the out. That That's the crux of Gita. Got it, got it. Yeah. Okay, I guess that makes sense because even in Christianity, like in some aspects of Christianity, there were like the Ten Commandments, uh, you know, that were like written on, um, I don't know, I want to call them like pieces of stone or like a slate kind of thing. And that preceded kind of like the Bible as we know it in its current form. But just like you said, relating to the Gita, the Bible is just like a collection and like an edited version of different stories from uh, from the opinions of like different apostles that was like put together. But there were like preceding parchments and, you know, stones and things uh, preceding the Bible where the Bible draws inferences from. So maybe I can relate it to something like that. Yes. Yes, exactly. And who, who was who was Swami Dayanath? Like, when did he live? When was he alive? Yes, so Swami Dayanath was, uh, you know, operating in in the year 1835 till 1887. 1835. So uh, not that not that long ago. Yeah, not that long ago. And because, like, you know, the problems he talked about, the, the issues he raised were very real uh, in in the Indian side. Like I was talking about, he was working to abolish child marriages. He was working to abolish sati pratha. He was uh, working towards like you know getting the widows remarried and have like lead their life peacefully mm-hmm. he was he was ensuring that you know there is there's like like people don't believe in a lot of superstition and go wrong with 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 their decision making so all of those things like was, were the things he was working upon and then he wrote this book called satyarth prakash say that again basic satyarth prakash okay yeah so it, it's basically his journey with truth right mm. so Satyas Prakash, if I talk about little translation, is Satya means truth, Prakash means shine. And how right? much like, how, like, how much of his uh, personal life was documented? Like, was he always like, was he like a prophet in another religion before he formed or he conceptualized the Arya Samaj? Or it was just like a regular person who had like a, an epiphany one day and, you know, chose to follow uh, whatever it is he encountered, that kind of thing? Yeah, 
Okay, so his life is pretty much pretty interesting if if I talk about it. Like you know, the book Satyaj Prakash is pretty much his experiment and understanding of the world and how he questioned a lot of things in religion. Mm. And when he talks about religion, it's not just in religion. I mean, they he first of all establish that you know one lifetime is too little to understand all religions, right? But he still like dares to did that. He he still dares to do that. And then he questions all religion. He questions a lot of beliefs. Some most of them are his own, which he was taught like when he was a kid and the way he was raised in in a Hindu community. And then few things he you know he questioned in terms of you know what is the purpose of life or why 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 there is the need of a god or why people believe in. in a one god system or not in a three three god system or something things like that things which you know which basically makes you curious about religion mm. and he has do- documented all his experiments and he, so the way he has written it he asks a question himself that right, you know that this is the question which i have and then he tries to answer that question by mm. experiments and his experiences which he has observed throughout his life working with different religions and understanding different religion and, and that came from reading a lot about different religions having friends in different religions and all sort of those so he had a great network of people does that mean he was accepted and didn't face a lot of backlash and criticism because i would imagine like any from you know historically you know the earliest proponents of any type of religion always face some kind of persecution from existing religions or just society in general for thinking different did he go through that or not really he, he went through a lot of that mm. like if i talk about the kind of things which happened with him while he was like you know on his search of finding the truth or finding like his answers uh, there was like you know there was already already a lobby of uh, followers of the hinduism who like you know who like adamantly or like conservative with their ideas and they did not like what dayanand was doing because that he he was pretty much bringing shame to the religion shame to the hindu religion mm. so what happened like you know there were places like you know he went to kash uh, it's, it's a pilgrim place in it's in uttar pradesh and there he wasn't he was he was unwell he wasn't welcomed in the city they were like people felt in stones on him mm. when when he entered kashi and then like there were instances where snakes were thrown at him so that he dies they were there there he was given poison 18 times it was just 18 that was, times in that particular place not not in that particular place over the span of his life, life. okay yes, got it yes. he was given poison 18 times it was just that he was a master of yoga bhyas he he and every time he was given a poison he used to understand that you know he has like you know he 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 contained a poison and then he used to like vomit it out to 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 his his practice of yoga but the way i mean if i talk about the way he died like his his cook whose name was jagannath he was you know he was given the responsibility to give poison to swami dayanand and he gave poison to swami dayanand in the form of adding mercury to his milk adding what mercury mercury, mercury? Yeah. like the the elements mercury Yes, yes. Wow. Yes. The one which we use in thermometer, right? Yeah. Yeah, so mercury was mixed in his milk and he, it was given to him. And that's and you know, Tommy Dwayne got to know that he has like he's been given poison, but it was given by one of his con- confident guy, like you know, the cook, the guy he trusted a lot. Yeah. So what he did was like he told uh, cook Jagannath that you know, uh, and even Jagannath confessed it to Tommy Dwayne that you know, he has given him the poison. and it's already too late it's already in his blood stream and everything so what swami dayanand did at that moment is is beyond imagine swami dayanand said to jagannath that you know i already have a lot of disciples at this place so it would be best for you to flee right now and he gave him all of his savings for him to flee 
even though he poisoned Jagannath, them. Exactly. Interesting. To Nepal. Does that mean the major proponent of the Arya Samaj religion is kind of like love and forgiveness? Is that the major component? Like besides, you know, um, trying to, I, I, I want to say, reform some of the practices of traditional Hinduism. But what is like the core message in uh, the Arya Samaj? So the Arya Samaj promotes good deeds, mm. and good deeds can be, you know, an amalgamation of love. It good deeds could be an amalgamation of hard work. Good deeds could be an amalgamation of, uh, you know, helping other people. So it, it is definitely all of that. Like, you know, they have coined the term Arya. And it's not to be confused with the Aryan race. It's not, you know, pertaining to any race. So mm. Arya is anybody. Arya, A-R-Y-A. Y-A, yes. Yeah, not, not Arya Aryan. Is, yeah. yeah, not Aryan. I'm not talking about the race, uh, mm. the Aryan race. I'm talking about Arya. Arya is someone who does great deeds. Interesting. So, so is in, there, even it, it, in doing great deeds, is there is there a requirement, like a, a major requirement, like some religions, they say, oh, during this time of the year, within this one week, you must give something to the poor, like it's an obligation. Uh, is there like a major requirement, you know, that everyone has to abide by, or it's more like the ethos and the general way of living, of just doing good all year round, all decade round, over one's lifetime? So there are definitely some guidelines which, which has been provided in the Satyas Prakash, which is around well-being, like, you know, mind and your body comes first because you cannot pour from an empty cup, right? Like, as, as, as people say, mm-hmm. so mind and your body comes first. Then you look towards other souls. So your parents, people, your siblings and all those people are like the first people you, you know, drive uh, encouragement from and you help them. And then you go outside your house and then start helping the society. So mm-hmm. there are definitely guidelines around these things. So like to stay fit, there's guidelines on that. To have a very, you know, an appetite for spirituality, there's, there's guidelines around uh, how you should like, you know, have a schedule. Uh, why Havana or like, you know, Havan, which people do, like, you know, starting a fire and then chanting mantras can basically uh, energize the entire environment around you. Mm. Is, is all those things which, which, uh, Aris Samajis or like the people, followers of Aris Samaj do but there is nothing set in stone in terms of what you should and shouldn't be doing mm. definitely there's there are guidelines around that you know you, you should avoid meat uh, you should like have have like a vegetarian outlook which is uh, also common to the Hindu religion if I'm correct exactly yes yes, mm. yes. so there are definitely things around that uh, and like you know all Aris Samaji families or people who follow that culture promotes that but there's nothing carved in stone in terms of what you can and cannot do in Aris Samaj. Also, there's no restriction for Aris Samaj to be being followed only by the people of the Hindu religion. Even Muslims really? can have yeah, even Muslims can come and follow the Aris Samaj. Does because that as mean... I told you, right, it's, it's, it's a reformist reformist organization and not, not a religion. religion. Got okay. it, got it. So it's more like, uh, so you can be um, practicing a particular religion, but also follow the tenets of Arya Samaj. Yes. Yes. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Does that mean that the Arya Samaj doesn't have its own, um, how do I put this, like priests and temples to like, you know, promulgate its teachings among the people? Is it just like an idea, like an ideology, kind of like, uh, I don't know, socialism, Marxism, not to con- compare religion with political mm-hmm. ideologies, but is it like an ideology where you actually have like temples, books, prophets that actually teach and interpret what uh, the book of the religion, of, of the movement says? Yeah. 
Sarada mentioned that you know as Swami Dayanand was got most of his learning from the Vedas mm-hmm. so definitely Vedas are like the primary source of knowledge so there's definitely prayers which pretty much like the Hindu religion is been followed there's definitely havan which is like an exercise of you know lighting a fire and then chanting mantras and you know providing it as like a tribute to god mm. uh, those things happen but arya samajis don't follow idol worship because yeah. uh, uh, swami dayanand for him like you know he thinks that there's a tretavad tretavad means believing in three elements where mm. hinduism most tends like you know the adishankachar and all these believes in advaitavad and i'll tell you what is the difference tretavad talks about having a parmatma god having a jeevatma which is which is living being mm. and having nature right? these three things are separate what, what's the living what's be, a living being the jeevatma is the living being which is it could be us it could be animals it could mm. be insects and all mm. everything which has which has a spirit a soul or a spirit a okay yeah and then there's nature and then there's parmatma parmatma is god so these three things are different they cannot be the same mm. right there is in hinduism and most of uh the stance in hinduism and there is no right and wrong way i'm just like you know would want to carve out that uh, explicitly that there is no right and wrong principle it yeah. just that dhyanan was a believer of tetavad advaitavad what what the adi shankaracharyan and everybody in the hindu religion follows is that there are no two things advait means not having two different so everything is one so advaitavad means that there is god in in a fire there is god in in a human being there is god in 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 a in a statue and all sort of that so god is in everybody is that's what advaitavad is but mm-hmm. when dhyanan tried to you know reason with that he said that parmatma god jeevatma the the soul and the spirit and nature these are three different things and it cannot be definitely god is everywhere but god is not in you and i god is not in in a statue or god is not in in a leaf but there is definitely god and god is everywhere but it's not in living beings or not in nature mm. that was what dhyanan reasoned with whereas at that part talks about god is everywhere and god is in everything so does that mean believing in one god and you know unlike hinduism that believes uh, like in hinduism i would imagine you know there's a god for everything riches education peace marriage you know um some say there are millions of gods uh, depending on the need does that mean in the arya samaj like all your needs and all your wants and all your i guess prayers are directed to just one being being god yes yeah, yes yeah. that's why like you know in everything uh, the arya samaj people follows starts with the yagya the havan which i was talking about it starts with what yagya 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 okay. is is lighting a fire and then you know chanting sanskrit mantras the vedic mantras when you say a fire do you mean like the little incense kind of little fire indoors or so like you know like havana or yagya is is prevalent in the hindu religion like you know for every ceremony like if if you have seen indian wedding mm. there's definitely a fire which has been lit and then the the groom and the bride take uh, rotate around it or like revolve around around that fire to mm. basically bind themselves in in those seven promises which for the vows which them so that fire is is called yagya is is called havana there are two different names to that and the arya samaji people believe in you know praying with that mechanism or with that exercise whereas in hinduism you can have a statue you can have scenery or photo of god and you basically worship that that reference of god mm so that's why the idolism comes comes into play exactly exactly mm, interesting dhyanan 
kind of breaks the myth of idolatry he says that god cannot be in in a piece of wood or or stone mm, so that means you don't need to set up like a, a a mini temple in your house or something your living room yes yes so to don't. represent yeah. interesting yeah. interesting but does uh, the arya samaj also have um, what would i call them like uh, in christianity we call them like mantles right so there are particular things some religions use water some use particular bracelets or you know ornaments some use a special kind of oil are, are they things like that in the arya samaj no there is nothing like that it's just that people follow the yagya like in everything which they do they follow the yagya and i have told you that it's a, it's a reformative organization so mm. even the saints and people who are like our leaders are been chosen dramat- uh, democrats so they are elections really? which happen every every two years and a leader is chosen who is also a saint uh, in our samaj and that leader a, live, a living saint for reform yes and he is he is pretty much not a saint he is most of more more on the side of a reformist he mm. will voice his opinion around you know public health he will voice his opinion around uh, still uh, you know child marriages happening in, in in the rural part of india he talk about uh, child labor and all sort of like you know the social problems which are still there in in a, in a society and you will see our leaders talking about those problems and which are basically bring the country back or bring our culture backwards they the saints or the people who are like you know the leaders of of the arya samaj they pick those issues and they don't like you know talk more on the side of uh that you know you should like follow god and all all of those things are great and they've established that mm. and dhyanan dhyanan spent his life doing that and they want to build on top of what what dhyanan's learning was what dhyanan's ideology was and I they guess. want to take on that legacy and then take it forward so, so if i talk about saints and leaders in the arya samaj they're not like preaching uh how to how to follow a religion and that you know there's this this three ways for reaching god and like they're not they're not selling tickets to heaven and they're i guess taking, this is taking social issues go on uh, they're taking social issues and they're like running movements they're even like you know if i talk about like the current leader uh swami agnivesh uh who's, who's leading the arya samaj at, at, at a national level he has been to jail multiple times he has been attacked multiple times really raised And I guess this is like in doing that talking about social issues like I can almost liken that to this whole um doctrine of doing good de- deeds I guess if you say that's a cornerstone of the religion maybe members of the Arya Samaj that believe that the society has to shed certain things in order not to bring on harm to other people and promote doing good deeds in in a sense but isn't that a little bit tricky because most countries believe in separating I mean we use the term separating church and state in the US cuz Christianity is the major religion uh, and other parts of the world but I can say separating church and religion don't you think there's a there there's some sense to that cuz if you start to have all these social conversations in religious circles and have all this religious conversation in social circles or secular circles then it can bring about problem cuz how people interpret both things can be problematic sometimes so i agree and disagree there like you know because uh, religion and temples and church have a lot of power they can mm. influence the minds of the followers definitely uh, but i think that's also a problem in a sense because because 
our uh, religion our learnings uh, while growing up and everything happens in isolation and we do not like ingrain that you know we, there is a cosmopolitan society there is a multilingual multicultural are you talking uh, about the irs or march specifically no no i'm talking about uh, this, this system where like you know the church and everything is kind of been separated from politics or separated from social issues mm. uh, in general i'm talking about like because we have been grown up and you know we and because church and uh, temples and like you know such religious sects uh, and organization have a very large impact of us growing up mm. it's very important for these institutions these religions these preachings to talk about harmony to talk about having a multicultural multilingual attitude towards other religions towards mm. people following other things because we are not brought up that way like you know even in some parts of india right now because there were like maybe brought up in a very conservative hinduism environment there still mm. instances where they grow up becoming anti islam mm. they, they grow up with having hatred mm. towards a particular religion mm. right just because it's because foreign to them mm. exactly because they never tried to understand they never they were always some myths or prejudices or you know preconceived notions which keep on forming since they, their parents or like even their grandparents or like their experience of their ancestors and everything those have been deep rooted in their in their family system yeah, and but, they never came I, out of those things but, yeah but while i understand that like I, and i it it makes total sense i mean uh we have that where i come from like a lot of christian way christianity is practiced in nigeria where i'm from more often than not you know you have these extreme practices you know we have a church in nigeria that that forbids or that used to forbid let me not say currently but i think sometime in the past uh forbid its members to own uh, televisions cuz the television is like the devil's box like it 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 exposes you and your children to things and it makes you prone to sin and it it makes your eyes see things you're not supposed to see you know that kind of thing i i wonder you know how how that's working out in the age of social media but i'm saying that in the sense that i can relate to the fact that you know you said that a lot of us grew up in all these enclosed spaces and you know have one thought and because we are so oblivious to other religions and the way things work in the real world we tend to develop an us versus them attitude so it's like christian versus muslim or hindus versus buddhist or whatever you have and while that's you know a problem what about history like we had a situation where religion and politics were mixed in you know years ago in the catholic church you know when england was pretty much uh, colonizing half of the world and the catholic church was very dominant in the english you know society so it's pretty much the catholic church spreading its tentacles and you know waging wars against countries forcing people to convert to catholicism and things like that don't you think if there's a cross pollination between religion and society eventually you know it might take a couple of generations but eventually you know uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely and maybe the leaders of that religion might just use that to uh you know promulgate more harm than good all over the world so i mean some form of in some form that is already happened mm. like you know there are instances in the indian political system where uh, people who were saints people who were you know sanyasis are holding a, a holding a position of prophet or politics like we have chief ministers like who are the head of the state hold uh, you know who's who, who's a sanyasi we have ministers in the center in india who are who are uh, sanyasis we have people in the parliament so who who belong to uh, you know who belong to that 
that cadre of people where they are also political uh, sorry already religious leaders and holding those positions so that's already being happened and the reference has been you know provided the same way the way you talked about like you know in the in the in, in the past because like all of uh, religion and politics and all of these were intermingled it's it's pretty much the right way or like it's it's pretty much the way to take the society forward so that's like pretty much how you know these people uh, which i'm talking about gives that reference that you know it's important for religious leaders to come forward and take charge of politics for a nation's growth because that's something which has been followed since the past some form of that is already happening at least mm-hmm. in the indian society and i already see that but the problem is like there is no problem in terms of it being happening because like you know as you said like it has already been happening in the past the problem is like there is only one kind of religion which is like you know which has either taken over the political system right and india being a country of multiple religions and mm. we have never had a problem living with each other all of that happened since like you know when the british went away and are, started, are you sure started. are you sure there hasn't been a problem what about uh, wasn't the caste did it wasn't the caste system born out of religion or was that just a societal issue so there there is caste problem in all religions in india mm. so if you say that caste is a problem in the hindu religion prevalently yes because there are many castes and people were segregated because of that and it's a very age old mechanism it's a very age old system i wouldn't deny it we had caste problem back when you know we had like you know kingdom in india and not not like we have like a whole india mm. or like we are united india we had caste system back then but there is definitely different caste and subsections in other religions as well like the shias and sunnis in islam uh, there's this similar segregation in other religions casteism is something which is not specific to hinduism this it's, it's always been there in in pretty much most religions even like you know like there's a very small religions as well like if i talk about jainism which is pretty much in india only and it is just like one of the like smallest religions even they have like that segregation there the gambas and shatambas in so that are area. you looking at it as more of a societal problem exactly so it's more how our society system Uh, it's been ingrained in terms of you know while the leaders or like spiritual saints and everybody like you know the thinkers and the tank think tanks of the world brought up the concept of religion and, and the way society has been built and it's not just limited to india i think mm. it's also true for the united states and everywhere else where people have tried to segregate and sub segment their own religion and culture to either form communities or like have a minority majority gap or whatever like to 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 use it for their own social and political advantage does this mean that even in the arya samaj there are also issues of let me say equality uh, not necessarily caste like for instance how are women uh, treated or you know uh, young people treated in the arya samaj you talk about you know an electoral process of nominating like you know a saint like figure have, have any women held that position are, are women you know allowed to have their say also uh, in the in the movement yes so you know that was one of the biggest reason that you know the arya samaj movement kind of picked up because it had a very modern out mm. if i talk about the hindu religion and the prevalent uh, superstition or like you know practices and everything it was very uh, anti women if i if i have to say it. you won't find a lot of feminist men back back you know back in those days 
uh, and even even still now like you know it's a very chauvinist or like a patriarchal society in india and most of that is you know come from that age old mentality or like that upbringing where they don't let women take charge or be in a position of power so arya samaj kind of started or you know advocating rights for women they started by you know as i was talking about what swami dhanan started doing was like he, he tried to abolish the sati pratha where mm. the widow was burnt alive with the with the, with his dead husband mm. right and this was in the 80 this was still prevalent in the 1890s yes yes does this still happen today in some parts of india no so sati pratha is completely abolished there's okay. definitely laws around it uh, even like even child marriages and you know widow remarriage and all of that as this is none of that exists uh, because there's definitely laws around it and we have a, like a modern outlook around these but yes these things are still been seen as a taboo like if a widow gets remarried she is not been seen uh, with the same dignity or like you know it's not she is not being accepted the same way in the rural india at least and even like some part of the urban india as well like you know people who are like still living in that conservative society or like were brought up that in a certain way which does not accept all these things they still see women in, in a different light like if if a, if a widow does not hasn't been seen wearing a white sari which is like you know pretty much the only color tone which was given to her uh, once once his once her husband dies like people start talking about it this all about a gossip which happens a lot and people see it see women in a different widows they see widows in a different light and all sort of those things they still these things still exist in people's mind but definitely not in the society people don't say a lot of things about it openly but honestly like they shy away and they mm. have uh, such thoughts in their mind so it's we still a generation away to, uh, to to confidently say that these things have been extinct in our society because it's this in some sort of the other beat systematic uh, you know harassment or a different behavior or or most some form of untouch uh, you know untouchability kind of an experience which happens for these uh, women those of those things still they like this but nobody talks about it and there's definitely laws around it so nobody like you know practice but it's still very fresh in, in some people's mind got it got it let, let me talk about how the movement is like currently like it's a it's a very young movement compared to other religions being started by swami in the 1890s um i, I would say you're kind of like third generation how were you raised given the fact that you were raised off the tenets of you know the arya samaj like how, how were you raised what were you compelled to do as a little boy by your parents in order to stay true to the movement so honestly like you know uh, yes you are right like this is the third generation which i am in like my grandmother and my grandfather was like the first people who got along with arya samaj and most of that happened because like you know arya samaj movement was very young in panipat at that moment like my grandmother was one of the person who set up the foundation of of, of arya samaj in panipat right she even mm. like led the led the movement here and and that pretty much speaks for itself right like if a woman is leading a movement uh, for for you know breaking the chains of superstition breaking the chains of uh, having uh, the voice of women in in the society especially in a in the hindu prone area that speaks a lot about the movement right it speaks a lot about it giving given a definitive position to women mm. right so my grand my grandmother was like an active uh, member she pretty much uh, you know was uh, was one of the members who laid foundation for arya samaj in panipat in in the small in the town and then all of those learning flowed to my parents uh, my my father uh, he he has seen arya samaj he has seen uh, his mother working actively for the movement everything since birth 
so like he was he was he was an enthusiast and then when he was in school uh, somewhere like when he was uh, 14 years old he got the opportunity to read satyas prakash uh, the book written by swami dayanand and there he got to know that swami dayanand is not like anybody who's 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 like you know who's a who's a, who's a religious teacher or a saint or anybody he is is a scholar and he reasons mm. with his own self he saw him more as a researcher kind of exactly yeah so he mm. reasons with his own self he, he basically writes the position uh, he writes the problem state which he wants answers on and then he finds those answers spend like 10 12 years on that and then gets the answer there in the book so that's that's kind of like a scientific approach to it right you know exactly. in a so sense he tries to put logic tries to basically addressed a lot of things which and he pretty much spent his entire life doing that right mm. because i was as i was telling you that one life is pretty much too less to basically read ab- about all the religions experience their values and understand what is the logic behind everything which different religions do swami dayanand make sure that you know nobody else gets to go through that pain and if somebody is looking from a scientific or a logical approach towards the religion then satyash prakash is the go to book for mm. Okay. So, as uh, coming coming back to that, you know how I uh, how I got like you know introduced to Arisma. So like my parents were already you know doing havana yagya in everything what they do, but they never imposed Arisamaj or the learnings and everything on us. Really? Honestly, like I grew I grew up to become a very agnostic guy. So I'm somebody who like and that's not something that's frowned upon by the Arisamaj. Exactly. Like you know. Hmm. I mean, there is nothing uh, written or like you know promoted or preached in the sense that you know if you are an Arya Samaji, then your children have to be Arya Samaji too. Nothing. No, there is nothing like. Mm. All it talks about is giving them, giving them the curiosity to reason, reason with the religion. What if, and, what if there is a? I'm sorry to cut you short. What if there is a conflict? Like, what if in my religion, for instance, and this is just a, a, an example. I'm not pinning this on any, any religion. What if my religion promotes child marriage, and that's against the tenets of the Arya Samaj? Like, what do you do in that situation? there is nothing wrong with that i mean i i won't oppose you and you know go enter your religion and try to like you know get you to but if it if it's not as per the law if i can convince you that you know what you're trying to do child marriages is not even safe for for an adolescent women like you know safe she she becomes pregnant before the age of 14 and you know there is a lot of problems which comes along with having child marriages if i can convince you logically mm. around the things which you are trying to do which you think are right but scientifically they are not then i would try to do that i won't come into your come into your religion and try to like shut things down for you and like you know try to make it you and try about but i will try to convince you with the way i convince myself or swami dayanand tried to convince his own curiosity or satisfy his own curiosity about these things scientifically and i will share all of that understanding with you and till the discretion of taking an action lies with you lies with the leaders of your religion but definitely there are few learnings around it and i would would love to share that so that's 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 the approach which any arasamaji would take when it comes to when they come across uh, people outside this reformative organization outside hinduism outside anybody any any, any other religion so and this that's is how they try to you know convince people so it's non invasive uh non coercive 
And, you know, I, I have to ask this because, you know, I'm speaking to you and this is you know, definitely the first time I'm, you know, sharing a lot of this stuff, but this is just, you know, one person, you. Are you saying this based off your experience or you're truly saying this based off the true tenets of the religion? Do you think someone listening to this right now say, oh, no, I know people who are members of the Arya Samaj that totally don't subscribe to some of these things you're saying? Yeah, so most of the things I'm saying, I'm telling you through my own experience mm. and the experience of my parents. Got it. Like, you know, as we have had this conversation, like, you know, uh, when I was 18, I, I tell you, like, let, let's discuss. When I was 18, I went to my father and I said that, Dad, are we, like, or am I an R.S. Samaji? And he told me once, one, he gave me a one clear answer, which is like, you know, son, it's on you to decide. Mm, interesting. You don't inherit R.S. Samaj. Because anyways, like, you know, the first principle of R.S. Samaj is to be an Arya, which is to do good deeds. Mm. And then... To enroll yourself for this reformative organization, which has the membership process. So it's on me to decide that whether I want to be an RS Samaji or not. What's the membership process like? Let's talk a little bit about that. Like, how do you officially become an Arya Samaj? So there's definitely like, you know, uh, there's an organization. So as I was telling you that, you know, Swami Agnivesh is... is and is it open, uh, sorry Samaj. to cut you short, is it open to anyone from any part of the world? Even though I would yes. imagine that like, the majority of RS yes. Samajis are Indians. Yes, no, there, there's no restriction to RS Samaji being Indians only. Mm. Like, even you can subscribe to RS mm. But there are definitely a few things which they would expect you to follow. First is that, you know, you need to be a vegetarian. Like, that's one thing they expect. Then the second thing is that they expect you to not have alcohol. Because these things are like, you know, it gives you bad thoughts or whatever. Like, those things are drilled down from the Hindu religion or from the Vedas. That's what the Vedas preach. So they definitely have those guidelines. And they definitely want you want you to help other people. They definitely want you to spread love. Mm. And, you know, and break the chains of myths and superstition. So even if you don't take the membership, but you follow the ideology, in some sense of the way, that's the kind of Arya Samaji I am. So I don't have a membership. Don't I don't follow. Uh, yeah, I don't have a membership. My parents have it, but mm. I, I definitely resonate with the ideology of Dayanam. And then, but, but, but regarding regarding important. regarding the membership in particular, like how do you sign up? Like, is there like a website? Is there a form? Do you need to physically be recommended by one of the elders? Like, what's that process like? Yeah, so there are multiple ways of doing that. Either you can uh, get in touch with anybody who's an RS Samaji or who's a, a follower who either subscribe to their local RS Samaj. RS Samaj uh, also have like, you know, uh, like their temples in Hinduism, their churches in, in, in Catholicism and Christianity. Their RS Samaj, which is like a community hall, mm. which is like a community place and institution where you can go. And this is all over the world. This is all over the world. Mm. Yeah, so you can you can avail all of those services, or you there's a website you can uh, read the brochure. You can see if, if those are the things which you want to follow and you want to represent that. That's some there's something which you know reflects your personality and everything, and you can like subscribe and enroll yourself in there. There are definitely annual summits, uh, half yearly summits which happens, and all of uh, the members are actively encouraged to take part in those things. There's also movements around helping. Uh, other people and when I say helping helping also means helping people in calamities helping people during disaster time and all of those things also happen to the RS Samaj institution to the RS Samaj organization and that sort of work is what being is what being encouraged by the organization got it got it I mean you know we can talk about this you know for hours and hours on end you know I've certainly you know gotten some enlightenment about what the Arya Samaj is about you know at the end of
of the day, I think uh, many religions or most religions in the world still have that commonality of, you know, doing good deeds and living the world a better place than you met it. It's just that the way about which they go about you know, achieving that is different in different ways. You know, you talked about uh, having like three different aspects to Darius Samaj, so God, the living being, and nature. Other people might interpret that like in Christianity as, you know, having like the Trinity or things like that. So there is some similarity, and I just wish that more and more people can sit down. Like, I'm a Christian, I subscribe to Christianity, uh, you are Arya Samaji, like I wish more and more people can sit down and talk about some of these things, you know, in civil discourse and get to see the similarities. And even though um, some people might end up converting and some people might not, just like the Arya Samaj preaches, there's no coercion, there's no, um, you know, force or anything. Like if someone doesn't subscribe to your belief system, that's not necessarily the end of the world. I just wish more and more people can do that. And maybe, you know, one way to do that is like you said, the isolation, you know, growing up with one particular view and being groomed to have the ideology of us versus them. Maybe there is something to that, you know, religion plus social uh, teachings uh, for one growing up, but, you know, uh, it will need to be looked at and maybe refined for it to be implementable. And there was just like, you know, two things I would want to add. One thing is that, you know, Dayanan has explicitly mentioned in Satyaj Pakar that, you know, even if there are going to be conflict, you know, in the future, go ahead and rewrite the Trimble or, like, you know, the values oh, really? of Maris Samaj. Yeah. Interesting. So, suits the current climates in the future. Exactly. So, Interesting. The, none of the values and the guidelines have been set in stone. Mm. All of these things, because the human race evolves, surrounding the principles the community needs to evolve with it. Mm. And that's what, you know, Dhyanan kind of also stated in, in his book. That mm. even in the future, if there is a requirement to change few of my beliefs, and you found a pressing or like a you know a convincing logic where you feel that you know my logic fails or like is obsolete, go ahead and change. Man, that's pretty interesting because most of these religions are like thousands of years old. Like these were societies before cars, before like jobs as we know them now, before many of these industries were born. And, you know, a lot of people are still forcing themselves to succumb to certain doctrines. So they're not imbibing an ethos and a way of living. They're just forcing themselves to subscribe to certain doctrines, which is kind of like the difference between religion and uh, Christianity, in my view, because in my view, like Christianity is kind of like a way of life, like their general ethos to it, love thy neighbor, do unto others as you want to be done unto you. But some people make it rule-based, oh, don't drink, don't fornicate, don't do this, don't do this. They try their best to hold on to all those rules that were like more than 2,000 years old instead of imbibing the general ethos of what the religion like kind of teaches. So that's interesting to know that, you know, the Arya Samaj, like um, uh, Diana, like gave an instruction that, you know, this can be changed sometime in the future. That's for 1890, that's uh, pretty revolutionary, I would say. Yes, all of this happened in the 1850s. 1860s? 50s, yeah. 1850s, got it, got it. Yeah. And, you know, Dayanand also tried to cover pretty much every facet of society and life. Like, he advocated Vedic schools, which is also called the Guru Pool, where a guru who's like a preacher basically enables a generation of students to be methodological, to be curious, and to be research-driven with everything. Mm. 
So there's definitely schools uh, which works on the Vedic principle. So there's, there's a whole big society or, 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 or a big organization institution called DAV, which is Dayanan Anglo-Vedic School. And it's a big deal in India. Like it's, it's a very big uh, institution. And there are Anglo-Vedic schools in India, which basically preaches the learning of Dayanan and Vedas in, in their schooling. Interesting. Similarly, there is definitely a facet of, you know, physical health, so yoga, yoga, abhyas, yoga, all of these things, there are like, you know, uh, roosters, there are uh, schedules, there are uh, workouts, and all of those things have also been, you know, very much talked in depth, in depth, in the Aristamaj, uh, about the spiritual health, mental health, uh, physical health, academics, all of these facets were touched upon by Dayanand. And, and, you know, he has tried to bring in all of that thing which, which, which a normal human being kind of interacts with while growing up. But things oh. which are which basically fundamental to way of life as you were talking about the Christianity. Like, you know, Christianity is the way, like as you were telling it about. Pretty much he has also, you know, tried to cover everything with, with a human being interacts. Got it. Got it. Well, uh, I want to thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast with Karish. Like, um, you've really, this has been a very interesting conversation. And, you know, I'll do further research into this. And like I said, you know, I wish more and more of this can happen where people from different, which is kind of like the essence of my podcast, to be honest, like bringing people from different backgrounds, you know, uh, people from different religions, different countries, different political beliefs, different, you know, upbringings to come together and have a conversation and maybe learn something. And, you know, the aim is not to convert or change anyone's mind, but to build tolerance because, you know, we can never have a monolithic world at the end of the day. But if we can each understand each other, then maybe we can learn to live, each other, live with each other and build that bridge across cultures and religions. Um, if someone is interested, wants to find out more about the Arya Samaj, wants to reach out to you, uh, maybe you want to like drop some of your contact details or social media handles. And you can also like, uh, I always like to give my guests a few minutes to kind of like uh, put in their last thoughts uh, towards the whole conversation. So you can do either of those uh, uh, before we wrap up the show. Yeah, so thanks also for inviting me. It was it was very exciting to talk about the Indian culture, to talk about Aris Samaj in particular. Like if I have to like sum things up for you, like, you know, as Aris Samaj is being built on the ethos of uh, Arya, which is, you know, helping people and anything and everybody can kind of enroll to that. It's a reformative organization which works and which has always advocated things which are modern and have tried to preach, uh, you know, and try to help the religion or the society to kind of navigate out of the superstition and the myth it, it, it has been, you know, keep on nurturing for, for all these years. So that, that's pretty much it from my end. And if, if anybody would want to reach out to me, they can, you know, simply find me on Facebook, uh, or write to me on email by the email ruthkarsh at the rate gmail.com and I'll be happy to answer any question or would be also happy to debate if you have other ideas about what I have in terms of my beliefs so far and happy to discuss all those. Got it. And you want to drop that email one more time? Yes. ruthkarsh, R-U-T-K-A-R-S-H at the rate gmail.com. Got it. Got it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Utkarsh. And as always, um, if you guys want to find out more about the podcast, you can go to our new website. It's cultureclasspodcast.com. And there you have links to you know our social media handles, what the podcast is about, uh, some interesting guests we've had on, and you know bonus content and things like that. So um, till next time, be safe. Thank you.